uh, I think maybe even worth just taking a breath and going, wow, a couple months ago we'd all been grateful to even do this together. So I'd like to pray, and then we're going to just jump into one thought for a few minutes. God, uh, just recognize that this is a year of crazy uncertainty with um, lots of adaptability required, and maybe just take a second to reflect that uh, you are faithful to lead, uh, even when that road is unclear. We love you, God. Amen. So the tricky thing about the Christmas story, and of course many of you will know this, is that like we already know what we're going to do, right? And there's this story that we're, we're going to tell and somehow try to find greater meaning and impact from. And uh, I think this year that's actually particularly easy uh, or, or maybe clear. There's a certain aspect of the Christmas story that for me has kind of risen to the surface that I think is worth our consideration. And it's, it's real simple. It's that like the, the, key, the key figures in the story, especially Mary and Joseph, uh, they were so darn confused, uh, bewildered, some interpretations say. Uh, like the future was so unclear, so unprecedented. Like what to do next and what would come next was just completely unknown. And obviously it goes without saying, like that, that is in many ways 2020. And I'm going to push back on any notion that says that we, we should just fall into the like good riddance 2020. I, I don't want to trivialize the grief of it all, but I... Uh, what I want to do this morning is ask this question, what if part of what the Christmas story does is challenges us to think about the fact that confusion actually has value? And whether you're thinking from, a, from an angle of art or you're thinking from an angle of science or just your own personal growth throughout your life, probably the greatest breakthroughs, the greatest discoveries, the, the moments that best define you for the better came after this time of intense confusion, and I wonder if part of what makes this year unique, I know it's the case for me, and it probably speaks to the lack of suffering in my life up until this point, is what's unique then is that this confusion just persists. It's, it's like a fog that doesn't lift. And most of the confusion I've dealt with before this, and maybe you're the same, like it was a fog that lifted with a good night's sleep or with a good procedure or surgery or uh, a, a good friendship interaction or a good moment with God in the text, but this is one that, despite all those things, just continues to linger. You know, I think about those of you that are students, and there's this game that we play where we're kind of, if we're not careful, comparing who has it the worst, and man, if I was playing that game, I, I think I, I feel worst for, for those of you who are students, whether you're middle school or high school or college students. I mean, I just, it's probably a projection on some level, but I just can't imagine being a student in this season or... For, for those of you who are like new graduates, can you imagine trying to start a career right now? Uh, I think I just walked with someone towards the end of last week who is in their 20s and new to town and single, and just the reality of like, how, how do you begin to meet and interact and find life and find meaning with other people? Uh, small business owners, I think Amy presented that very well. I, I just, I can't think of a more difficult time if, if you've major living in a small business sector, but really it doesn't matter the size of the business. There's, there's just none of the rules apply. Uh, think about people who are marginalized or under-resourced, and I can only comp begin to comprehend that, that you know, some of the luxuries that we have to have to stay safe are very difficult to come by for some people. The elderly, I mean, can, can you imagine being in a nursing home for the last 10 months? Parenting. I mean, there was really no clear path before, but it's even more foggy. I mean, we could just go on and on and on. My goal would be that this season, uh, we, we find some confidence in the confusion, 
by just looking at Mary. And so what I want to do is I want to read uh, the, the Mary story. It's classically called the Annunciation. It's that moment where the angel Gabriel showed up in her room. And my opinion is that Mary was 12 or 13 years old. And, and so you imagine this very simple, very pure, very just kind of getting started kind of person. And there's this huge interruption. And if you're familiar with the story, good on you. And if you're not, there's, there's all these nuances we could stop and look at. And I'm just not, we're not going to do that. I think this is a reminder that the text is written for us, but not to us. And so what I want to ask you to do is just filter for confusion and, and watch that, to me, there's a narrative arc that's actually really simple. There's a God who sends a mis- messenger who sees the future clearly. And there's a human with feet on the planet, so to speak, who is utterly confused, not just by life, but what God is doing. So here we go. In the sixth month, uh, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And now you'll conceive in your womb and you'll bear a son and you'll name him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He'll be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren. Excuse me, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then if you're with us in the last series, okay, if you weren't, but watch this line. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. See, I think part of what makes Mary so accessible and encouraging in this season is before she could really consider what it would mean to her engagement to Joseph, before she could give full thought to how this was going to impact her extended family and even neighborhood relationships. Obviously, she lived in a very religiously conservative community. How was that going to be impacted? Before she could really slow down and and begin to try to comprehend how being a mom would change the course and trajectory of her life, and before she could dream about what kind of person this son would be, she's just confused, just perplexed. Uh, Eugene Peterson in the message says she was thoroughly shaken. Like, what the heck? Uh, There's an artist in the late 1800s who paid a visit uh, to what we would know as Israel today, did some extensive kind of learning and studying there, returned to Europe, and painted this picture. It's just simply called the Annunciation. And difficult as it is to see, I know, I love the honesty with which it captures her experience. What? How could this be? And yet I think this is where we go like, wait a minute, Mary's story has something for us. Because here would be the easy part, I think. The easy part would be to say she worked through her confusion, and somewhere around the bump and the birth, she got it. But of course we know that's not the story. Like, Mary lived in this state of suspended confusion for at least the next 30-some years. But she didn't didn't quit. She didn't stay. She didn't do nothing. She she moved forward. And here's, to me, what's maybe encouraging and maybe we can latch on to for a source of hope. All the iconic things that we now love about the Christmas story, the copper, the frankincense, right? Like, 
all those things, the virgin birth, like almost every aspect of the story that are what make it memorable and meaningful today are the parts that when they originally occurred were utterly confusing, confusing. You know, we, we, we pay a lot of attention today to this idea of PTSD, and we should. It's debilitating. But there's this reminder, and we're going to do a series in February called The, the Power of Bad, in which the research would say 20% of the time, a, a confusing or, or, or an experience that creates incredible suffering, 20% of the time, that creates this incredibly difficult things that we have to work through, what we call PTSD. 80% of the time, it does what researchers called post-traumatic growth. So, so, so there's a way of saying confusion is bad, and we don't want to trivialize people's suffering, but maybe Mary can remind us that sometimes it's, it's, it's breakthrough. It's, it's, it's spiritually advantageous that as people of faith, what we're so prone to want is clarity and certainty. And especially with our Western minds, we're, we're easily convinced that that's what the Bible, that's what God, and that's what Jesus gives us is clarity and certainty. And then COVID comes along and goes, not Mary. I mean, think of her story after this. God is with you, but now you're going to run for your life to Egypt. And God is with you, but that birth has somehow led to the death of all these other children's deaths. And God is with you, but suddenly uh, your, your son is going to school being called a momser, like a, a kid whose, whose mom was sexually immoral. And then even at 12, she takes Jesus to the temple and, and there's these experiences. And if you follow the narrative of Mary through the ark, there's this, there's this refrain that happens really through all the gospel writers where it says, more or less it says, Mary was confused, but she just stored it in her heart. She just stored it in her heart. Jesus finally got started in his public ministry and she thought like some Savion Blanc was a good idea and, and he took exception with that. It, she was confused by that. There's moments in his ministry where, where she's convinced he's losing his mind and she confronts him and he has the audacity to say things like, my family are those who follow me. I mean, imagine hearing that from your own child. And then even at the cross, there's this iconic moment. Mary, perhaps the only or one of the only people standing at the cross, not looking up at Jesus, but probably eyeball to eyeball as we better understand the archaeology. Her son experiencing the kind of death that the Romans had to invent a word for because it was so painful. They invented this word excruciating to describe it. And, and as much as I would be among those who believe that that moment was a decisive moment in human history where, where death lost and evil lost and, and new creation found a whole new beginning and sin was dealt with by God, Mary didn't walk away from that day understanding any of that. Her, her confusion, I would have to think, was at an all-time high in that moment. So here's, here's the question, and this is actually going to launch us into a series in January where we're just going to deal with this question, and I think we're calling it this. It's this idea of what, what if confusion plus attention equals growth? And what if the real challenge of what it means to be an adaptable human, and listen, I'm the worst at this, is learning to be more hospitable towards confusion, which doesn't mean it's always good, but it also doesn't mean it's always bad. And there was a particular story for me that all of the COVID experience, uh, I'm convinced the day I die, it'll go back to this moment. There's this article that I had read last January. So in January of 2020, 
I was assigned by a professor uh, to read a particular article, and because it was more of an academic thing, I didn't really do the devotional work with it, but this article, among the many that I was assigned, as you know, we all know that experience, it was particularly exceptional. In fact, if you email me, I'll send it to you. It's, it's just absolutely an amazing article. Uh, and what had happened was I read it in January and went, wow, this is Christmas Eve of 2020. Like, this is good stuff. It's kind of the, the, the way that that stuff works for me. And then I put it in my system, and I have a system that reminded me in September that I needed to take a study day, and I needed to work on Christmas Eve. And so I did all of that, and I pulled this article up because, it, again, I had all these prompts to remind me of that, and I read the article, and I was like, whoa, this is crazy how appropriate this is in this COVID situation, and I think with Christmas. The article is written by a guy who's a spiritual director, but he's also a high school chemistry teacher. And, and in the article, um, he, he tells the story that the first day of class, and of course, chemistry is one of those classes that, I mean, I'm, I'm among them. You can avoid it in high school if you want. You just call the state's bluff that you have to take it to get into college. Many of us, I called that bluff. So, so you've got a particular class of people in this, in this place, right? So first day of class, he looks at this, um, by class, I mean a, a particular type of student, I guess is what I meant there. He looks out at the student body and he says, okay, First day, what's the second most important thing that has to be true before you can learn anything? Now, my assumption is that he has the type of skill, and the question is odd enough that it, it elicits this great conversation, and there's this pushing back and forth, and this conversation that happens, and eventually, in his expertise, he leads them to this realization that before you can learn anything, you actually have to be confused. Whether we're talking about vaccines, or we're talking about art, or we're talking about emotional breakthrough, or we're talking about progress in a relationship, until you're stymied, you can't learn. And then he says, okay, so what's the first most important thing? And again, this long conversation follows, and eventually what comes out in this, in this interaction is, well, you have to be paying attention. Like, to be confused but not aware of it is is typically a really bad thing. In fact, many of us can look back over our life, and those moments when we were most confused but not aware that we were confused uh, is often when we created the most mayhem. So it's not, it's not a good thing by default, but when you combine this, the reality that you know you're confused with the fact that you're working on the problem now, and he argues, and he, frankly, I'm indebted to him, he's the one that looks to the Mary story to say, wait a minute, doesn't Christmas remind us that confusion's not all bad? We don't have to wear the socks that say explicit things about 2020. We could embrace 2020, grieve what appropriately needs to be aggrieved, but also to go, wait a minute. Maybe there's some cultural good that comes from our level of intense confusion. I'm, I'm convinced that the church in, in North America is going to be way better because of this. I'm not sure what it's going to look like, but my conversations lead me hopeful that what God is doing in our midst is, is a great thing, albeit painful. What if confusion plus attention really does lead to growth? See, for me where this was helpful, and, and this is where it kind of transcended Christmas Eve and got personal for me, was on the one hand, I was already aware that there were these moments where I would just obsess on the problem. And part of it was because I'm a church planner by background, and I you know, started youth groups and, and different things, and so in my head, I have this large ego that says, I like to start things. And if you get used to starting things, then, then the very nature of that is your ego forms around being on the leading edge of things. And so I had to acknowledge part of the reason why I want to solve the problem of what's next in the church is because I, I, I don't want to get past. I want to keep us and me on this leading edge. And so there was this moment of confession, like sometimes I want to solve the problem because, well, because I want to look good. 
But all the same, there is this, I think, permission to go, you can give dignity at times to your confusion because the fact that you're aware that you're confused and, and that we're trying to solve the problem, to me, would say, that means you've got this formula in place. You're paying attention and you're confused. And that's a great thing. And here's where I think the January series comes in, and here's where I think the, the life of Mary comes in, but that's not the whole story. I think what makes the Jesus story, the God story, the surrendered life story, the Jesus is Lord, not me story so unique is there's also this third leg that says, and sometimes you just surrender. doesn't mean you don't get to work on the problem. It just means sometimes now is not the moment to work on the problem. Sometimes you just take a deep breath and go, I have no idea what my business is going to look like in two years. I have no idea how and if I'm ever going to meet a mate. I have no idea if you fill in the blank. And for me, it's created this rhythm of, okay, God, in this moment, on this bike ride, on this run, in this particular moment, is, is what you're asking of me to be solving the problem because I'm giving dignity to the confusion and the obsessing and the round and round and round and the conversations. I had a couple of them this week where it's like, I'm so excited to have this conversation. Like, what's non-negotiable about narrate? And you get to the end of the conversation, you're like, I don't know. But it, you give dignity to the reality that you're confused, which means you're paying attention and... I think this is where the Jesus worldview meets us and you all get to pay our fee and we all get to pay our fee and make our choice. And you recognize that there's some space where you just go, I don't know, Lord, it's your gig. And that's not a reflection of my lack of engagement. It's not a reflection of my, I, I hope, entitlement, but just a like, I don't know. It's the reminder that the, the Jesus story is bookended, frankly, by confused people. Let's just look real quickly at how, especially in Luke, and I think it's fascinating that, that from a narrative perspective, Luke seems to frame his whole gospel account, which remember, his is the like researched, hey, I'm going to go, I didn't actually meet Jesus, but I'm going to go interact with people who did and tell this story. And for some reason, he, he seems to go to great pains to demonstrate that the, the people at the beginning of the story were confused, as were the people at the end. Chapter 24, the, the last of Luke. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Remember, nobody was standing outside going, 10, 9, 8, 7. Nobody saw this coming. But when they went in, they did not find the body. Here we go. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again? Now, to whatever extent you believe that that was one of the most decisive moments in human history, I wonder if it's healthy to acknowledge they were clueless, confused, the fact that 2,000 years later we're in this place, a part of this historic movement called Christianity, says that the confusion eventually lifted, but not immediately. Wendell Berry, this great poet, uh, he, he says it this way in, in a poem called The Real Work. He says this, It may be that when we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work. And that when we no longer know which way to go, we have come to our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. What if this Christmas, 
Can you imagine for you, if you just identified one particular area or multiple and gave yourself permission to kind of ride this tricycle of confusion and attention and surrender and somehow understood that the God life, the Jesus life, it rarely gives us the luxury of certainty and clarity and black and white and zeros and ones, but it invites us into this relationship that's very human, a God who needs us engaged in the world and its problems, and also very divine, a God who needs us to recognize that, that his goodness supersedes our brokenness. And could you imagine if we, collectively as a culture, in your particular sector, in every sector, and in, in every vein of culture, in government, in politics, in medicine, in school, if in every sector we... Rather than kick the dirt and just wait for life to return to when we weren't confused, we did the work of deeply engaged in the confusion and also very, very aware that our control, no matter what our view of God is, our control is not what we once thought that it was. I'd like to pray for you. God, thank you for people who are doing the work of trying to be self-aware and you-aware. And God, I mean, the power of bad isn't, I think, more powerful than what's happening culturally around us right now in that it's just so easy to, to frankly, kick the dirt and cuss the year. And God, we don't want to trivialize the, the pain of this year, especially around the loss of life and suffering. And, and yet, God to recognize that maybe it's when we reach a point of confusion when real growth can happen individually, within our families, also within our culture and our nation and our world and all eight billion of us. We love you, God. Amen. If you would like to learn more about Narrate Church, find us at narratechurch.org or look us up on Facebook and Instagram.